You can open them up to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, that is where we're going to be this evening. And so you can read along. It's really just two verses tonight. A um, couple things to tell you before we dive into this. First of all, this is kind of a big day around the Caliph household, if I do say so. Um, today is uh, my daughter Katie's sixth birthday. And so, um, yes, uh, Katie's the one on the left in that picture. And, uh, and this is just really a, a great day for our family because if, if many of you know the story, I mean, there was a time in Katie's life when she was about two where we didn't know if she was going to be walking in a month or so on her own or if we were just going to watch her body degenerate and she was going to die at a young age. And so, like for us, uh, neither one of those has happened. And so God has actually been very good to Katie and we just celebrate the things that are going on in her life. And so we had a birthday party for her yesterday. It was really cool. And this is just not just a special time like any birthday, but it's a time of worship for our family. We're just so grateful for what God does. And so, so here's the deal. She's not here tonight, um, but she'll be at the picnic tomorrow. She'll be around. So if you see her, give her a high five, give her a hug, something like that. Um, just tell her happy birthday. She is fine with all the attention. In fact, a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife was talking to her and we were talking about swimming. And um, Sarah said, you know, Katie, with how strong you are in your arms, you could be a great swimmer. You could, you could, you know, win races. You could be famous. And her response to Sarah was, well, Mom, I'm already famous. And so uh, we didn't know this about her, but uh, I guess she's uh, famous. And so she's used to the attention. So just... Tell her happy birthday. This is a really cool thing. The other thing to tell you about, uh, we didn't mention the picnic is happening tomorrow. And, and we are doing baptisms there. So I just want to say it as many times as we can. If you've never been baptized and you're thinking about that, God's bringing you to that place. Like talk to one of the pastors here tonight. And uh, we would love to get you set up for that tomorrow. And we're just going to celebrate together the work that God is doing in our church. And so um, just find one of us afterwards. Or if you can't find one of us, go to the Welcome Center and they'll track somebody down for you. And we can get you ready for that. So why don't you pray with me one more time. And then we're going to dive in um, to the message tonight. Jesus, uh, God, we, we love you. And we love that you are at work in this place and in Canvas and Washougal. And that we get to see... Um, People's lives being changed and, and, and forgiveness going out and people being baptized tomorrow. And so, God, we thank you for that and we pray for more of that. God, that you would continue to work at changing people's lives and healing them and freeing them from sin and, and, and giving them life in you. And, and tonight, we just say again that we need you. Uh, we need you to be here with us. We need you to speak to us, to encourage us, uh, to 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 help us hear hard things if that's what we need tonight. And so I, I pray that you would just lead what we do in here as we look into your word, that you would use me. I need your help, that you would, that you would give all of us ears and hearts that are eager to listen um, to whatever it is you have to say tonight through your scriptures. And so, God, we love you, and we love that you lead us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, around my house, not only is it, uh, you know, birthday time, but, but we are kind of in gymnastics mode in the Caliph household. And I don't know if this was the Olympics or not, but I just know when I was a kid and I would watch sports on TV, I would I'd get really excited to go out and play basketball or go out and do something like that. And so I think that kind of happened in our house. And so uh, this last week, my son Connor and my daughter Anne were both at gymnastics camp. And so this was really cool. Every day they got to go and... 
you know, roll around on the mats and, you know, jump on trampolines and stuff like this. And so uh, uh, I'm just convinced that gymnastics is an amazing sport for little kids. Like it teaches them, you know, how to use their body and how to balance and all this kind of stuff. And it's really fun to watch. If you have not watched three-year-olds doing gymnastics or trying to, this is this is really fun to watch. And, and, and yet i got to be honest with you after watching my kids a little bit this week. And they're not here so I can say this and you can keep a secret, right? Okay. i, I got to be honest with you. In watching my kids, they had a lot of fun this week. But, but my guess is none of them are going to be in the Olympics. Uh, I just kind of can tell that. And that's what's really interesting to me about the sport of gymnastics is that um, you can take a, a, a young kid, like five or six years old, and you can, you can put them out there in the gym and, you know, they can do a few things. And a coach with a good eye can tell you if they're really going to be a great gymnast or not. This is, if, if you just watch the Olympics, this is how all of those stories are because they always kind of highlight the stories of these athletes. And, and just about every single one of them, the, their story starts with, well, I was five and my parents parents took me to a gymnastics class, right? And, and, and I did a few things and a coach saw me and, and really that coach gave them a label, right? Just said something about it. They could see talent or they could see something unique there. And, and, and so kind of made a statement about who that person was. You are going to be a gymnast. And that statement just kind of, um, you know, drove the rest of their lives. They, they, they transitioned a lot from that. And so this happens in gymnastics. It happens in, in swimming. And so you get Michael Phelps. He goes out there. He's seven years old, jumps in the pool. And from that on, a, a coach just sees this guy is going to be a swimmer and tells him, that. And, you know, 10, 15 years later, we get to watch how that plays out in his life as he wins a bunch of medals. And so this is, this is what happens with what we call identity or these labels or these statements about who we are as they, they, they really drive what we go to do. It, it, we, we adjust in light of what we see about ourselves and who we are. And so if you're six and you're a gymnast and somebody says you have talent, um, then chances are, you know, your parents will start paying for more classes for you to go to and you'll go more often. It's not just once a week. Now it's three days a week or, or every day. And, and, and pretty soon you change your diet and you, um, you know, you, you invest in all kinds of, of coaches. And if you listen to some of the stories in the Olympics, some of those kids, even as teenagers, they, they move away to other parts of the country to be around a closer gym and a coach and, and somebody who can help them thrive in that. And so this is why this is why identity is so huge for us. Because it's like this, the, uh, how we see ourselves and, and, and those statements that are made about us, they, they, they tend to drive and play out and we adjust our lives around that. And so that's why with young people, um, we're always so concerned about that. Like, and, and young people, they, they try on so many different identities, right? Like one week they want to be the athlete and so they want all the clothes and they want to try out for this sport and then the next week they want to be a musician or they want to be the smart person in school and so all of a sudden they want to do their homework or, you know, and, and, and whatever, whatever it is that that, that, that person thinks, they, they start to spend their time and their energy and their money and their efforts and they're having conversations with their parents about this and so we, we see young people do this and, and actually as I get older and as I watch adults, like adults, we do this too. 
Although as adults, it seems like there's a lot of hats that we wear. I mean, I was just thinking about myself. I, I, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a pastor. I'm a son. I'm a brother. There's, there, there's all these different things. And yet what we find is one or two of those things that we are tend to kind of rise to the top. And we even experiment um, with what that one thing is or what's going to be our real identity. And so we try some things out and make it most important. And, and so for a while, it's going to be maybe the job that I have. That, that's, that's how I'm really going to define myself. And so, um, so if that happens, then, then you work longer probably. And you put more effort into that. And, 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 and there's some adjustments that happens. And you, and you might even miss certain things because of your job. And so after a while, if this isn't really ending up the way you wanted it to be, then, then, then you might make a switch about what really is the, the true identity of who you are. And it might maybe be your kids and and so it's it's all about them and and, you know little junior being the best soccer player in Camas and Washougal and so um, it's soccer camps and it's practice all the time and it's every day and this is um, this is how we adjust around who we want to be or who we see ourselves as and so this is huge it's huge that as we're going through life that we form um, the right identity that we really think about who we are and we get that right um, so that we can live out what God wants us to be. And what I want to say tonight and what I want everyone to hear is that the gospel speaks about our identity. That, that what Jesus has done and, and what he has accomplished, it, it, it changes or it says something about who you are. If you have received Christ, then, then what scripture says is you've received a new identity. God tells you who you are. He tells you what the main thing is or what the most important thing is. And this is a, this is a great gift for us. Like we don't have to try on a bunch of hats anymore. We don't have to search for these things. God's gift to us is he says, this is who you are. Now, now live this out. And so scripture speaks of it all over the place. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, Peter, as he writes this letter to this, the followers of Christ in his day, he, he writes some statements about our identity in Christ. This is what he says. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. This is who you are. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so I was thinking, if I could give a test tonight, right? And this would be miserable, right? If I just passed out an exam for you, although students, it's just a couple weeks away here. And so, um, but if I could give you a quiz, and if the question on the quiz was this, it was kind of a writing assignment. Describe your identity in Christ. Describe who you are as somebody who has received Jesus. Who are you? Like, what is your identity? And, and if I pass that out and everybody kind of wrote things out, my, my guess is that many of you, what I know about you, you would actually do a really good job on this. I mean, you would come up with a lot of things. There's probably some of you in this room that, that you hear that and you, you think, ah, I, don't, I have no idea to, where to start. I mean, I'm just, I'm just coming to church for the first time. And, you know, if that's you, um, this is a place to learn. And so don't feel bad if you have no idea how to answer that. That's, that's why we come together and we open scripture and we talk about these things. 
But, but my guess is most of us, if we, if we gave you this quiz, you, you would be able to kind of write out, you would think of passages that you know that are meaningful or, or, or sermons that somebody preached, and you'd be able to write out some things. And my guess is that most of us, we would really get some individual pieces of who we are in Christ. We would say things like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a child of God. I mean, he loves me like that. I have that kind of relationship with God. It's not, not about performance. It's about um, the relationship and the love that I have experienced in Christ as his child. Or, or, or I'm forgiven or I'm a part of his kingdom. And so when I die, I know I'm going to go to heaven and to be with Jesus. And so um, we think of these parts of our identity in Christ. That I'm a dearly loved child of God. And this is true. In fact, this is a really good thing for us to know. In fact, if we really got this, this would drive how we live our life, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if we really understood and, 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 and thought through and, and grasped what it means to be a dearly loved child of God, this is a place of great security. And so um, I, I no longer have to worry and be caught up in what other people think of me. I don't have to compromise myself. I don't have to feel pressure because I'm, I'm loved by God. And so this is a freeing. This is a, a thing that, that drives me in how I live my life. But, but what I want you to see tonight is, is that that's not just it. I mean, this is great, this, this individual piece. But Peter, as he's talking about our identity, um, he seems to talk about a communal piece too. I mean, you are a dearly loved child of God, but what Peter is saying over and over is that you're also a people. I mean, you can just go through this passage and you just kind of circle some of these things. He uses the term nation or, or, or people multiple times. And so what scripture is saying is part of your identity, yes, is that when you receive Jesus, you receive forgiveness and, and, and this right standing as a child of God. But you are also a people. This is your identity. Or you could write it out in this way, that you're not just a dearly loved child of God, but we're, we're, we're a people or a community. This is who we are. This is what God tells us about our standing, our position, our identity in him. And so if this is our identity, this isn't something that's optional for us. It's, it's not something that we kind of, um, you know, jump into for a while and then jump out of, or, or we do if we feel like, or we do if we have time. Um, what Peter is saying is this is who you are, and this is an idea that is, is carried throughout of Scripture, I mean, you can just look through and you can kind of do a, a word study and you can look for words like, like God calls us a nation or his, his people or, or a household or a family or a body. And all of these are, are words that describe the same thing. That when we receive Jesus, we receive this standing, um, this position, this identity as being his child, but also being a people. And I hear that, I, I, and I think that that's great, but, but if you're like me, I kind of scratch my head and I think, well, what does that mean to be a people? Or, or, or what does it mean to be a community? I mean, or, or a family, or, or words like this. I mean, some of these words we, we use a lot, and, and yet they conjure up kind of different images in our mind. 
I mean, if we just talk about the word family and we, we kind of went around the room and if we started asking everybody, what images come to your mind with family? We've all grown up in different family situations. I mean, some of your family situations or images might be um, just amazing and it was special and it was close and there was a lot of time together. And yet many of you, your images of family is, is hurt and, and disappointment and, and frustration. And so this is a confusing Maybe term for us sometimes. Or the word community is kind of a buzzword right now in our culture. Have you noticed this? I mean, they're always talking about like the city of Camas or Washougal. We want to be a community or, or the school districts talk about that, the, the community in your schools. And so it's kind of used everywhere. And the question for us as, as followers of Jesus is we just have to ask is the, the, the way community or, or people is used out in our culture, is that what God means when he says that you are this? I mean, do we understand this in the same way that God does? And the great thing about God is God always leads us in this. Like God, God helps us to understand these things because he gives us scripture. And, and so for me, one of the most helpful places to go is some of the things that Paul says. Again, this idea is all throughout scripture. But Paul, he gives us this picture in a couple of his letters of the body. And I think this picture is one of the most helpful for us to understand what is God saying when he's saying you are a community or you are a people. So let's, let's read what he says in Romans chapter 12. First of all, he says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so Paul just says it, look at your body, look at your physical body, there's arms, legs, mouth, nose, all these things, just like there's many and they come together in one, that's what you are like. You all belong to one another as a people. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and he kind of expands on this a little bit more and I'll just read it and then we'll talk about it. He says, so the body is not made up of one part but of many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand and I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if your ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would your sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we are all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And if you go down to verse 24, he goes on to say this. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, each part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And so these passages, if you've been around church, many of these are familiar to us. In fact, we talk about them a lot when we talk about spiritual gifts. Um, the fact that when you receive Jesus, you receive his Holy Spirit um, who helps you, who gives you talents and skills that are to be used for him. 
And so we look at these passages and we talk about how, how it's different and how God does this. And this is, a, this is a right way to look at these passages because this is what Paul is writing about. But he's also, he's giving us this description of this people or this community that you are saved into. And, and how it's supposed to work or how it looks like. And, and, and as we read through these things, we, we understand a few things about being a people or a community that in a community, people are committed to one another. Or Paul says we all belong to one another. There's, there, there's an ownership there. there. There's an understanding as he's writing these things that this is a long-term relationship that we're in. It, it's not something that we're in while we feel good and then we're out when we don't feel good about it. Um, It's not something that we'll do if we get around to it. It, 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 It's a commitment kind of thing. In fact, Paul goes as far to say that if you aren't excited about the role that you have in the body and you try to withdraw and get away from it, he says you can't do it. Did you notice that? He says even if you say that, it doesn't mean that you will cease to be a part of the body. In other words, um, there's a commitment there in this community. There's an ownership with one another. And not only is there a commitment, but there's a contribution that every person has to make. I mean, it's something that, uh, that, it, that it's not just the leaders who make a contribution. Um, it, it's from the oldest to the youngest and the most mature and experienced to the, to the very least. Um, there's an idea that everybody has something to, to bring into this, to contribute. And, and if you notice, it's God who determines this. And so if you, you kind of want to complain or whine or be frustrated or compare yourself and, and, and get frustrated that you're not like that person or this person, he says, he, he says no, no, it's God who determines these things. He, he, he made you this way. He's He's fitted you, he's made you quirky and weird for a reason because you have a unique contribution to make to his, his people. And this is how a community works. We take what we have and we, and, and we bring it. And, and not only do we bring it simply for ourselves, but our contribution is to be a part of the whole. It's, it's not just for me to kind of get some fame or, or, or for me to feel really good about what I bring. It's, it's not about that at all. I, I bring something or I contribute because um, it affects and it helps the whole, everybody else. Okay? It, it, and if this is our identity, then it means that you cannot be who you really are and, unless you're bringing what you have. But at the same time, it means that you can't be who you really are unless everybody else is bringing what they have too. This is, this is how it works in a community. I mean, this is the idea that your teacher was always trying to get across when everybody had to stay in at recess for a few minutes until everybody got their project done. And we go out together. There's this idea that we, we all have to contribute to be who we're supposed to be as a community. And see, if this is true, then in, in a community like this, every person's actions affect the whole. They don't just affect you, um, but there's implications to the people around you. And so often this is a really positive thing. Like when I give something and it's, and it's helpful and it's good and it's what I have to offer, then, then not only am I blessed, but others are blessed by this. But, but it's true that if I take, 
Um, It's not just me who's hurt, but it's others who are hurt as well in a community or in a people. And so if this is true, then then people would want to support one another, right? And this is what Paul goes on to to talk about, that that if our actions do uh, affect one another, then if one person suffers, then everybody suffers. And if one person rejoices, then everybody rejoices. And, and, And we have equal concern for one another. And when God is talking about a people, he's saying you're saved into, a, into an identity, into a group of people where you live and function in this way. And this is a beautiful thing when we see it happen. I mean, this is amazing that God can do this amongst a, a group of people who, who, who walk into this sinful and messy And yet when this happens in God's people, um, this shows God's God's full and more complete saving work in our lives. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about what really happened when sin entered the world, what what happened was community was broken or, or relationship was broken, right? I mean, this is what we see right off the bat in Scripture. And so if you're not a Bible reader, and, and, and a lot of times, you know, um, we're not used to, when we're first new to church, we're not used to reading the Bible. And so we just kind of um, pick it up, and we always open to the beginning, right? This is how you start a book. And so you start reading the first few chapters in Scripture. And so you start reading about creation, and you, and, and you see God's design there. And, and, and so you see God creating, you know, um, light and dark and, and, you know, the stars and the moon and, and water and land and then plants and then, you know, fish and birds and, and, and animals and all these kinds of things. And then you come uh, about three quarters of the way through chapter one, and there's something that's odd there. Like you're reading about all these things. God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was and it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And this is different if you read that chapter. In fact, here's God and he's talking to himself, but he's using the words our and us. He's talking about that, that, that humanity is unique and that we are, are, are his ideas that, that we're to be created in his image. And, and this is an important thing for us to understand because this is exactly what God does. It goes on in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so this is important for us to understand. This is part of our makeup or design that that God has made us in his image. So what does that mean? Well, as you start reading through Genesis chapter 2 and you start to figure this out because God creates and and in chapter 2 he kind of um, unpacks a little bit more what happened with Adam and Eve, right? And their design. And so God makes Adam. And he puts them in a garden and he gives them a purpose. He gives them a job to do. He's supposed to take care of this. And, 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 and he has a relationship with God where God is giving him you know, rules. And Adam's not frustrated with this. And, and he's not upset. In fact, you get this idea that he has this great open relationship with God. But as God is, is, is watching this and looking at it, there's again kind of an odd verse in there where, where God looks at Adam and he says, this is not good. 
And this is the first time in the Bible that God says this. Everything else that he created was good or very good. And then, and then here's Adam in the garden and he says, well, this is not good. And why wasn't it good? Was Adam sinning? Was he making mistakes? Well, no, he, it wasn't good because he was alone. In other words, there's part of the design that God has made us for, part of his creation and being his, his image that is a communal, relational thing. That Adam could not be fully who he was designed to be until Eve came along, until there was somebody else. And so this is what God does. God creates Eve. And, and what we get to see in chapter 2 is just this amazing relationship that, that, that Adam and Eve had with God and that they had with one another. And in fact, it describes it as that they were both naked and had no shame. In other words, there was nothing to hide there. There was no fear. There was no, there was no frustration. There was no embarrassment. There was complete knowledge and openness. And, and, and this is the kind of community that we were designed to live in. And yet what changed that was sin, right? That, that as soon as sin enters the picture in Genesis chapter 3, what you have is, is that community being broken. Adam and Eve are hiding They're hiding from God and they're hiding from one another and blaming one another. And and this is what we see played out throughout the rest of history, that, that we are born into a fallen world where community does not happen naturally because we're sinful. And sin breaks what we're designed for. But Jesus comes to repair. And he doesn't just come to forgive and make you right with God, but he comes to forgive and and help you forgive one another and be right with one another. In fact, that's what Peter gets at in in chapter 2 when he says, once you were not a people, this is what you were born into. We didn't get along. We didn't function like this. It wasn't natural for us. We don't do this on our own. But now in Christ, we can be. And we are. And so whenever we embrace this, whenever we begin to let this part of our identity kind of drive how we live, um, we are... We are repairing, we are reacting against the fall. We were demonstrating the the beauty or the amazing work that God does in saving his people. I mean, this is amazing when it happens. That that people from different backgrounds, um, people who who, who grow up taking from one another and lying and and hurting and, and, and being destructive to one another when, when we start to get along when when, when people of different races and, and and nationalities and all these kinds of things come together and begin to get along this is a this is a powerful thing we don't see this anywhere else in the world I mean when we look out in the world what we see people relating around like like interests so, so everybody that has the same hobby, they have a little community. And, and everyone who, you know, their kids are on the same sports team, maybe they have a community. But we don't see, you know, people from different backgrounds and, and personalities and styles coming together. This is what God does in his people. And this shows a lot of God's power. 
God's glory and, and, and what God can do. And, and I think this is what Peter's getting at when he says, when we're a people belonging to God, we're this so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, when we start to live this out in our lives, like this gives praise to God. People notice, wow, God is amazing. God, God did that. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. And it's interesting to me that, that we as, as Christians, this is a hard thing for us sometimes to embrace, though. Again, when we want to talk about identity, we tend to want to talk about just ourselves, right with God. And, and the communal side of that, we kind of set it over here. It's, it's secondary or it's something that if I'm lucky enough and the right people come along, then I have it. And if I'm, you know, if I'm not, then it's not a big deal. Or often the, the biggest kind of reaction that, that, that we hear to this idea is, this would be great, but I'm so busy. I don't know if I could live like this. I mean, when we start thinking about what it would really mean for us practically to, to, to live as a community, this, this can't fully happen in here, can it? I mean, this is a place where we can come together and, and we can you know, begin to kind of play out parts of it as God's people. But, but really to get this, this happens like on Monday when you call your friend to, to check up and see how their big meeting at work went. And, and, and you show up to your, your, your other friend's son's soccer game and you root them on too because you, because you care about them. And you share things with them. Or it happens when somebody stops by your house and you have a meal together. Or when somebody stops by your house to say, hey, I just want to let you know you hurt me when you did that and I want to make it right. I mean, these things take time and, and they play out. And so the reaction often would be, this would be amazing, but I can't add anything else to my life. And I think what Peter would say is, it's not adding anything. It's your identity. So you adjust for that. Does that make sense? I mean, this is where gymnastics meets Jesus, right? The same idea applies that, that, that when I get this label, when I'm realizing, when I'm told this is who I am, then I start to move my life and let this play out in these same ways. And this is the invitation that we're saved into. And so we commit ourselves to one another. We find some people who, who love Jesus like you. They can't be perfect. You'll never find that. But, but some people who are around you, who you see often, and, and you commit yourself to them. And, and you tell them this. I mean, this isn't something that, that we can just kind of understand, hopefully. And, you know, this is something that every once in a while we just have to say, hey, by the way, I just, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to, to be involved in your life. To live as Jesus would want me to be with you. And, and, and that that other person would do that for you. I mean, in America, uh, right now, America is, is notorious for church hopping. And, and so we're notorious for kind of looking around and kind of getting pieces. I, I like this over here and kind of just looking for the, 
the perfect situation. And so I, I like the Bible teaching here and, and the music over here is great. So I go here on Saturday night and here on Sunday. And, and, and this group, they, they have a bunch of people that are kind of in the same age category as me. And so I go there because I get along with these people and I never really commit myself to anything. And I just got to say, like 20 somethings, you guys are the worst at that. And I love you, but you are. <laughs> and, and what ends up is we never really fully give a contribution to anywhere, and nobody's able to contribute to us fully. And so we find a place, and we, we commit ourselves to it. This is a great thing, and, and it could be a church, but honestly, again, um, you know, there's 600 of us. I mean, I don't know, there's a couple hundred in here tonight. And so um, can we fully do this uh, as a church? Well, we can do it pieces. But what happens here at Gateway is, is many people do that within a grow group. That's what these are. As a group of people who have said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do life with you. I'm going to live out what God has saved me for with you. Will you do that with me? And so you commit yourself to people and then you just bring what you have. And a lot of times, again, we just think of this purely in terms of like a position at church. And so I pass out bulletins or I, I help with the coffee or I help with kids. Or, and, and some of these things, these are all great contributions that you use your talents and gifts and, and, and you should do this. And yet what I'm reading as I read scripture, when God is saying a people, he, he's often thinking of not just those things, but more relational things than that. Things like encouragement or, or I listen to people. That's what I bring. I'm a good listener or I'm a good talker. I walk into a group of people and nobody else talks. And so this is, this is what I love about my wife. She's a talker. She brings that to a group of people. Or you can pray or you can be generous or you got a truck so people can, like you can help them move. <laughs> So, so you bring what you have, and, and to really make this happen, is, is I, I really think we have to start making decisions considering our part in the whole. And I think this is where it starts to get controversial. Because I have, to, I have to start thinking about others as I think about and seek God for what he wants me to do, and how he wants to, me to give my time. And yet if I don't do that, then, then being a people and, and being a community like this, again, it's just trying to add something to your life and you will be stressed out and, and, and overwhelmed and you won't be able to do it until you start to adjust. And so I might make a decision. Kind of considering, God, how does this affect the other people that I'm committed to? Or I might include them in that. I might say, I'm considering doing A and B. Would you guys pray for me about this? What do you guys think about this? How would it affect all of us? And, and even if it pulls you away from that group, they might get to celebrate you and support you as you move on to follow God. But we, if, if we're going to be a community, then we've got to make our decisions this way. And my prayer is that we'll do this. Um, the, the gateway will be a place that, that's known like we, we teach the Bible well and we have great stuff for kids and great stuff for students and all of this kind of stuff. But, but, but the gateway will also be known as a people who relate in the way that God has saved them for in a way that brings praise and glory to him. That that would be known.
Ah, when people talk about gateway, wow, those people, they're committed to one another. They love each other. I'm just amazed at what they do for one another. That's what I want to be a part of. And that's what I'm praying for in this church. And so let's do that right now as we close up. God, we, we're just thankful that you say things clearly, God, that you, you don't leave us guessing in our lives, but you, you want to lead us. God, we are so afraid sometimes to commit to people. We're afraid what we're going to miss. We're, gonna, we're afraid that they're going to let us down. We're afraid that we're not good enough. God, help us with that. God, free us up to be a people. To get off of ourselves. And to give to others. And God, I pray that at Gateway, that, that again, we would, um, we would be known for this. And God, that people would be drawn into this place, into our groups, God, into our friendships, because they just see this amongst us, and they're amazed. And God, we love you that you do love us that you do want to repair us fully, not to just be Adam alone, but to be a people. And so God, we sing about that tonight as we finish. In Jesus' name.